0: All right, well, we're there in Isaiah 65, and uh, this is a very interesting chapter as we are finishing up the book of Isaiah, and I want to spend a little bit of time on the first uh, couple verses, first few verses here, uh, because it it deals with a subject that may be a little complicated, but, and I know our our church is, is familiar, many of you are familiar with these things, but it's good to review them, and maybe you're not familiar with it, it's good to learn it. In Isaiah 65, 1, the Bible says this, I am sought of them... That asked not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. Now, when you study the Bible, what you want to do is you want to study the scriptures in their context. But more than that, you also want to allow uh, the scriptures to define itself. You want to compare spiritual things with spiritual. And whenever you find in the Bible, that uh, the word of God quotes itself. You want to compare those quotes because oftentimes you'll be able to learn something of what is being said. Now, in Isaiah 65, in verse 1 and verse 2, verse 2 says this I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people, which walketh not in a way that was not good uh, after their own thoughts. So these verses are actually quoted in the book of Romans, and when they're quoted in Romans, Uh, It gives us some insight into what's being spoken of. So keep your finger there in Isaiah 65. Go go with me to the book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter number 10, and look at verse number 19. Romans chapter number 10 and verse 19. And when you get to Romans, do me a favor uh, put your bulletin or a ribbon or a bookmark there because we're going to leave it, but we're going to come back to it. Romans chapter number 10, and we're going to just begin reading at verse 19 to get a little bit of the context. And notice what it says, Romans chapter number 10 and verse 19. And whenever you get these cross-references, you know, if you don't mind writing your Bible, maybe you can write next to Romans ten nineteen, Isaiah 65, 1 and 2. Or in Isaiah 65, 1 and 2, you can write Romans 10, 19 and 20. So when you go back and read these passages and study them out, you know what the cross-references are. Romans 10, 19 says this, But I say, did not Israel know? So there he's identifying who he's talking to. He said, did not Israel know? First Moses said I will provoke you. Now the question is, I will provoke who? He's talking about Israel. He's talking about the Jewish people. He says, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. Now I want you to remember that, maybe underline that phrase, by them that are no people, because that's a reference to the Gentiles, and we're going to see that here in a minute, and by a foolish Nation. I want you to remember that phrase. It says, A foolish nation, I will anger you. Because in Isaiah 65, 1, if you keep your finger there in Romans, but uh, go back to Isaiah 65.1. Notice what he says. He says, I am sought of them that ask not for me, I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me unto a nation. You see that word nation that was not called by my name. Now in Isaiah 65. 1, from Romans, we know that he's talking about the nation of Israel because in Romans ten nineteen he said he said did not Israel know I will provoke you talking to, to Israel now go back to Romans ten and look at verse number twenty Romans ten twenty notice what he says but Isaiah is very bold and saith so he's about to quote the prophet Isaiah and he's quoting Isaiah sixty five one he says but Isaiah is very bold and saith I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that I asked not after me. So you see how that's the same quotation from Isaiah sixty-five one. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that he was uh, stretching out his arms. He said, "He said, I'm found of them that sought me not. And behold, uh, behold me, behold me unto a nation that was called not by me." What he's saying there is that there was a nation, and he's referring to the Gentiles, and, and saying, I, "I, I was spreading my arms out. I was." calling out Isaiah 65 two. notice I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people, which walketh not in a way uh, that was not good after their own thoughts. He, he's saying, you know, I, I was trying to get the attention of the nation of Israel. But he said, what ended up happening is that I was sought of them that asked not for me. He said, I was found of them, I, of a people, it says in Romans, that were not a people. Now, keep, keep your place there in Romans and Isaiah, but go with me to the book of Matthew And I want to read to you a parable... And it's a little lengthy, but we'll, we'll read the whole thing to get the context because uh, I want you to understand. Here's what he's saying. There was a nation of Israel that he was spreading his hands out to, but they were rebellious. They were not listening. And then he said, I ended up being found of a nation that, that wasn't even looking for me. He said, I ended up being accepted of a nation that isn't even called by my name. A, a, a group of people that aren't even a people. Now, what is this people group? Matthew 21, verse 33, Jesus taught this to the Pharisees. He said, hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard, Matthew 21, uh, 33, which planted a vineyard and hinged it round about, and digged a wine press in it, and built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen, that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants, and beat one, and killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But, all, but the last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the there, come. Let us kill him and let us seize on our inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord therefore the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? So Jesus gives this parable and he gives this uh, this story, and then he asks the question, you know, what is he going to do to these husbandmen? Now notice what the response is, verse forty-one. They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruit of their season. Now they, they identify it correctly, and then Jesus says this, verse 42, Jesus saith unto them, did ye never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner, this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes, therefore say I unto you, now this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees, talking to the leaders of the, of the Jewish religion at his time, he says, therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you just like in the story they said well he's going to remove the you know the 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 the, the householders going to remove the wine press and remove the things that he gave them from those wicked men and he's going to give it to someone that's going to render fruit and then he says you're right and he says for that reason the kingdom of god shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing Forth the fruits thereof. See, the Bible teaches that God was was going to take the blessed, you know, the blessings and the different things that He gave the nation of Israel. Now, you may ask, well, what is it exactly that He gave the nation of Israel? Well, we know He gave them the land, but in the Book of Romans, He tells us that He gave them the oracles of God, which is the Word of God. He gave them prophets and priests. He gave them people that would invest in them and show them the Word of God, so that then they can go and produce fruit. But He said, because they failed to do that, He took it from them and he gave it unto another nation. Now in Romans 10:19 if you can make your way back there I want you to notice what the Bible says. Romans 10:19 says but I say did not Israel know first Moses saith I will provoke you talking to the Jews to jealousy and I want you to notice what he says by them that are no people he, he wasn't going to choose a nation that already existed like he'd, you know, chosen Abraham and created a nation out of him. He said, I'm going to create a new nation of them that are no people, and by a foolish nation, I will anger you. Now in 1 Peter 2-9, and I'd like you to turn there because I want you to see these references. 1 Peter 2-9, he explains to us, who this nation is. If you can make your way to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, if you start at the end of your Bible, at the book of Revelation and go backwards, you'll go past the book of Jude, past the books of 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John into 1st and 2nd Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 2, look at verse number 9. Notice what he says. 1 Peter 2, 9. Now, actually, before you, we read 1 Peter 2, 9, go to 1 Peter 1, 1, just real quickly, because I want you to get the context, all right? Who was Peter writing to when he wrote uh, the letter uh, 1 Peter? 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 1. Notice what he says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers. Now, the word strangers in the Bible doesn't mean like a strange person, like the person, you know, you see somebody out on the street and they're just kind of strange. The word stranger means a foreigner, means an an alien, someone from another country. Now, notice what he says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers. And then he tells us where these strangers are. Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and uh, Bithynia. So here he's talking about Gentiles, all right? That's who the book is written to. It's written to Gentiles. Now go to 1 Peter 2, 9. And notice what he says to these Gentiles. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Now he's talking to Gentiles. And he says, you are a priesthood. And by the way, that's something we believe as Baptists and the the priesthood of the believer. I don't need a priest to go to Jesus Christ. I don't need to go through a man to go to Jesus Christ. I can go directly to God through Jesus Christ. And here he says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. I want you to notice this phrase, a holy nation. Do you see that? A peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice verse 10. Does this sound familiar? Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. Which, have, uh, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Here's what the Bible teaches, and many Christians today don't believe this, and, and they'll say, no, that's not what the Bible says, and, and today you find a lot of Christians who have these Zionist views, and they'll say that the Jews are still God's chosen people, and that God still has a plan for the Jewish people, and, and listen to me, God has a plan for the Jewish people in the sense that He has a plan for all people, that all men should believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they need to get the gospel, and they need to be saved, but you to understand this, as far as their nation being blessed and as far as their nation being the nation that God's going to choose, the Bible is very clear all the way in the book of Isaiah that he has rejected that nation and he chose another nation to bring forth that light, a nation that would bring forth the fruit. And you may ask, Well, what is that nation? Is it the United States of America? What is that nation? Is it, you know, another country? And he would say, This, no, it's actually a people that were no people because he said, I'm creating a new nation of Believers, and those will be the people that will now have the blessing of God upon them. Amen. Go, go to Isaiah 65, look at verse number 2. Isaiah 65, verse 2. He says, I have spread out my hands all the day. Notice what he says about the nation of Israel, unto a rebellious people, which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. He says, They were rebellious. Now here's what you understand. It's not that God rejected them. It's that they rejected God. The Bible says about Jesus that he came unto his own and his own received him not. The Bible says that he spread out his hand. The Bible says I've spread out my hands all that day unto a rebellious people. Now, I want you to kind of help, to to help you understand how how the nation of Israel uh, works. And and I I hope you don't uh, take this too far or or think that I'm teaching something that that I'm not. But it, it works almost in the same way as a reprobate. In the sense that a reprobate is rejected of God, not because God decided, I just want to reject this person, but God calls out to that person. God reaches out to that person. But eventually, after an individual just rejects God, rejects God, rejects God so much, God actually rejects that individual to the point where they lose the opportunity to be saved. Now, that's what a reprobate is, according to the Bible, based on an individual person. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying everybody who's a Jew is a reprobate. That's not what I'm saying. Because I know people like to walk away and say things that I didn't say. That's not what I'm saying at all. But here's what I am saying. The nation lost its opportunity. It will never come back. The nation of Israel crossed the line. See, all throughout the Old Testament, they kept sinning against God and sinning against God. And he kept sending prophets, and he kept sending prophets, and he kept sending men. And it was a cycle where they would get right with God, they would have revival, then they would get backslidden, then they would go into bondage, then God would bring a man to take them out of bondage. I mean, read the book of Judges. It was just a cycle over and over and over. And just like in the parable that Jesus told, the last straw was when he sent the Son. And when they said, well, this is the air, let's kill him. And when they rejected Christ, the nation lost its opportunity to be God's chosen nation. And God said, you know what? I'm taking the kingdom of God from you and I'm giving it unto another nation. That's why Jesus said, you know, he said, I say unto you that, you know, many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but unto the children of the kingdom, but the children of the kingdom will be cast out into utter darkness. He said, you know, the Jews think they're going to get to heaven and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But he says, actually, when, when Abraham and Isaac and Jacob sit down to fellowship in heaven, they're going to fellowship with people from all over the east and all over the west. Why? Because he removed the nation. He removed the blessing, the covenants from the nation of Israel. And he gave it unto a new nation. He said, well, what is that nation? It's a group of people that were not a people. It's a group of people that, that had nothing to do with each other. It's a group of people. And, and, and think about, you know, think about just our church. Think about our small church you know, Verity Baptist Church, and think about the people, sometimes people will tell me, you know, that they're going to go, like, do something together, they're going to go have an activity, or they're going to do whatever, and, and sometimes I, just, I mean, just today, my wife was telling me, like, oh, so-and-so said they were going to do something, and sometimes I just kind of sit back, and I, and I think, you know, if, if, if just somebody was walking by that group, they'd probably be thinking to themselves, like, what do these people have in common, you know, like, there's no reason why these people should be friends. I mean, there's no even really reason why these people should even know each other. And But a lot of times, the only thing that we have in common is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The only thing that brings us, you know, so even in our church, there's people, different cultures, different backgrounds, different age groups. And there's really no reason why we would even know each other or, or, or be friends or be connected. But the connection comes. It's a Greek people that were not a people, but we were united under the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a new nation that he brought forth. And he talks about that. Now, notice, go back to Romans 10. Look at verse 21. Romans 10 and verse 21. And again, I just want you to see the quote from Isaiah. He says, But to Israel, he saith, All day long have I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. So again, you see, that it wasn't that God chose to reject, God was searching after them. God wanted them to use them. But they kept rejecting him. Now, you're there in the book of Romans. Uh, go, go to the book of Galatians. If you go past 1st and 2nd Corinthians into the book of Galatians, let me show you one thing and then we're going to, we'll, we'll get off of this. Galatians chapter number 3 and verse 16. Oftentimes people will, you know, when we preach this and we'll say, the nation of Israel has been rejected. As far as the nation is concerned, God took the kingdom from them and he gave it unto another nation, unto another people, a peculiar people, a holy nation, you know, which in time past were not a people. And pe- people will, will ask and they'll say, well, what about the Abrahamic Covenant? Because they'll say, you know, God gave Abraham this covenant where basically he said I was going to bless his seed, and you know, doesn't that still apply to the Jews? Now, don't turn to Genesis, but let me just read it for you. Uh, Genesis 12-2 says this, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless him that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So people say, well, what about that Abrahamic covenant? I mean, that covenant went down to Abraham's seed, so God can't get rid of the nation of Israel. He can't just say, I'm done with you, and move on to another nation because he would break that covenant. But here's what you got to understand, okay? The covenant was to Abraham, and then the Bible explains to us his seed, Galatians 3.16. Are you there? Let's look at it quickly. Galatians chapter 3, look at verse number 16. It's interesting, you, you know, one of these days we're going to do a study, we're going to do a, a, a series entitled 3.16, And we're just going to go through all the great 316 verses in the Bible. Because there's a lot of them. You know, you think of John 316, but there's a lot of just 316 verses that are just great verses in the Bible. And here's one of them. Galatians 316 says this, now to Abraham and his seed, you see that, were the promises made. What were the promises made? That Abrahamic covenant. Who was the promise made? To Abraham and his seed. Now notice what he says. He saith not and to seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one and to thy seed, which is Christ. See, the people have this misunderstanding. They say, well, God can't take away the Abrahamic covenant because he gave the covenant to, to the nation of Israel. But here's the thing. God did not give the covenant to the nation of Israel. He gave it to Abraham and his seed, which is Jesus Christ. God didn't reject Jesus. Jesus, as we see later on in the passage, will still reign from Jerusalem. He, he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. But the blessing always comes with this idea of whether you are in Christ or not. The only reason you and I, and see, and we got to understand, because we have this tendency as sinners, and we're going to look at it here in a minute, but we have this tendency where you start preaching these things where people want to start looking down at the Jews, and you know, kind of become these little Nazis, like, oh, I'm just against the Jews. Hey, look, the Jews are a false religion, just like the Muslims, just like the Mormons, just like the Jehovah's Women. We don't have to hate them. We don't have to dislike them. We just need to realize they're preaching a false religion. They have rejected Christ. But here's the thing. The only reason I'm accepted in Christ is not because of anything I've ever done. It's because of Jesus Christ. Do You understand that? The only reason I'm accepted is because I'm in Christ. Why were they rejected? Because they rejected Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. Not about you. Not about me. Not about them. It's about Jesus. That's what it's always been. And even in the Abrahamic Covenant, it was about Abraham and his seed, Jesus Christ. Go back to Isaiah uh, 65. Look at verse uh, number. And, and in Isaiah 65, he talks about it. Let me show it to you. Skip down to verse number nine, just real quickly. We read there in, in Galatians 3:16, to Abraham and his seed, where the promise was made. He saith, and to seeds as of many, but as of um, not as, of, uh, and, and he saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. That's Galatians 3:16. But notice what he says in Isaiah 65:9. He talks about that. He says, and I will bring forth a seed. Out of Jacob, do you see that? And out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains. And my elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. Notice, it's always about that seed. It's always about that inheritor. It's about Jesus Christ who's coming. Now, go back to Isaiah uh, 65 and go back to verse number 2. Let's get on a different subject. And let me show you something else that's found here. Isaiah 65 and verse 2, notice what it says. I've spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people. Which walketh not in the way that that was not good. I'm sorry, I keep reading that wrong. Which walketh in a way that was not good. I want you to notice this phrase, after their own thoughts. Now, whenever you read something like that in the Bible, you just know whatever's coming next is bad. Okay? Because it was the problem with the Jews in Isaiah's time is that they were walking in a way that was after their own thoughts. Now, the Bible kind of uses this phrase, Throughout, you know, it's different phrases, but it means the same thing. Uh, go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 14 and verse number 12. You open up your Bible right in the center. More than likely find the book of Psalms. Right next to Psalms, you got the book of Proverbs. When you get there, do me a favor and put a bulletin or a ribbon or something there because uh, you can leave whatever I told you before. Now I want you to keep your place in Proverbs because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Proverbs 14, look at verse number 12. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. See, the problem with us is that we look at things after our own thoughts and we think, oh, this is right. This is the right way. This is what we ought to do. But God says, whenever a man thinks something is right, the end thereof are the ways of death. In the book of Judges, you find the same idea. Let's go there quickly. Judges chapter 17. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Judges chapter 17. Now, if you've never read the book of Judges, I would encourage you to do it. And we, we did a study through the book of Judges. And one of these days, I want to go back and just kind of preach through some of those judge, uh, the Judges stories. But when you get to the end of the book of Judges, it's really interesting. Because when you get to the end of the book of Judges, everything gets really messed up. I mean, it's like you're watching a bad soap opera. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. It's like, you're just like, these people are crazy. These people are insane. You know, I can't believe that they are doing this. I can't believe that this is happening. But it's interesting because right at the end of the book of Judges, Here's when when the stories get really crazy, that kind of section of the book begins with a phrase. And when the bad stories end, that section of the book, which is the end of the book, it ends with a phrase. And it's almost like God is telling us this is what happens when people think this way. Notice what it says. Judges 17, verse 6. The Bible says this. Judges 17, verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The Bible tells us, it starts the book of Judges. Next time you read it, look at it. You read that phrase, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And then if you keep reading, everything gets crazy. I mean, up to then, you're reading about Gideon, you're reading about Samson, you're reading all these Judges, and you're like, it all makes sense. And right after that phrase is said, I mean, the stories get bizarre. The people are doing weird things. I mean, you got these sodomites just defiling people, and you got other people being chopped up, and you're like, what is going on? And then God ends the book with this phrase, Judges 21-25. Notice what it says. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And see, the problem that you and I have, the problem that the children of Israel had in the book of Judges, the problem that the children of Israel had in the book of Isaiah, is that they were doing things after their own thoughts, is that they were doing that which is right in their own eyes. Because there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Go back to Isaiah 65, look at verse 3. Now, what were they doing? What were they doing in their own thoughts? What was it that they were doing after their own thoughts, in their own ways, in the way that they thought was right? Notice what the Bible says. Isaiah 65, look at verse 3. He says, a people that provoked me to anger. God says, these people just upset me. These people just anger me. They provoke me to anger continually to my face. Now notice what he says. What are they doing? Because, I mean, that's a pretty harsh statement. I mean, you would think like he says, a people that provoked me to anger continually to my face. And I'm just expecting the next verse is going to say they are killing each other. I mean, they are, you know, they are taking advantage of little old women. I mean, they are, you know, they are just stealing people's identities. I mean, they're doing like the worst things they could do to someone, right? But notice what he says. A people that provoked me to anger continually. And then here's what he says. That sacrifices. And you think, well, wait a minute. That's a religious thing. What's so bad about a sacrifice? What are you getting so angry about, God? Notice what he says. That sacrifices in gardens and burneth incense upon altars of brick. And you say, wait, these people are doing religious things. They're, do, they're going to church. You know, they're doing their little temple stuff. I mean, they're, they, the problem is they're not doing it in the temple. You know, but they're, they're, they're sacrificing, they're burning incense. You know, they've got an altar there of bricks. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, let me give you a couple examples. Go to the book of Exodus. Keep your finger there in Isaiah 65. Obviously, that's our text. Go to Exodus 20 and look at verse number 25. There's a lot in this chapter, so I'm going to try to cover as much as I can uh, before I lose you. I lost some of you already a long time ago. Exodus 20, look at verse 25. Notice what it says. Exodus 20. Because in Isaiah 65, 3, it says, They burneth incense upon altars of break. Okay? And you ask this question, what's wrong with that? What's the problem? Well, here's what's wrong with it. Exodus 20 and Verse 25. uh, The Bible says this, and if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, he said, if you're going to make me an altar of stone, he said, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. The word hewn means cut. Now, God says, if you're going to build me an altar of stone, that's fine. You can build me an altar of stone, but he said, I don't want you cutting the stone. He says, for if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. He says, if you're going to build an altar of stone, I want you to go and find stones, you know, out in nature and get this altar put together. But he said, if you're going to build an altar of stone, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to grab a stone and cut it and and, and put a tool upon it and get it ready for, for a sacrifice. Now, if you go back to Isaiah 65, notice what they were doing. Isaiah 65, verse 3. Look at the last part of verse 3. And burneth incense upon altars of brick. Now, what's brick? A hewn stone. It's a, it's a stone that's cut up. It's a stone. And, and, and God said, I don't want you doing that. He said, in fact, you're, you're offending me. He said, you're angering me. He said, every day I look down and continually to my face, you're sacrificing. And you say, well, what's the big deal with a brick? Now, notice verse 4, which remain among the graves. Now, again, you say, well, what's wrong with, what's wrong with being among the graves? Well, did you keep your place in Proverbs? Go back to Proverbs real quickly. Look at Proverbs 8.36. Proverbs 8.36 Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 8.36. Now, in Proverbs 8, you got wisdom personified. Wisdom is speaking here. And, of course, we know that the uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Proverbs 8.36 says this. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. Notice what wisdom says. All they that hate me love death. God does not love death. And wisdom does not love death. And, you know, people who love death and these, you know, these people that want to be hanging out in the tombs and, you know, being all gothic and being all black or whatever, you know, dressing all black and having this black makeup and the black nails. That God's not for that stuff. The Bible says they that hate me love death. And here in Isaiah 65, it says that they're worshiping God, but they're worshiping God among the grave of the graves. Isaiah 65 four, and lodge in the monuments which eat swine's flesh? Now we know in the Old Testament they were forbidden to eat swine. You know, and when the New Testament that changed, but still in the Old Testament time they weren't supposed to be doing that. And broth of abominable things uh, is in their vessels. Now you may say, well, what? What is the big deal? Okay, go to John chapter four, verse twenty-four. Let's let's uh, let me show you a couple things uh, about this. John chapter four, verse twenty-four. John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John four twenty-four. You say, well, they're worshiping God. They're sacrificing. You know, uh, yeah, God said if you're going to do make an altar of stone, I don't want huge stones. And they ended up having, you know, these square bricks and they made this nice altar, you know. But what's the big deal? Here's what you gotta understand, okay? The big deal is that if God says he wants it done a certain way, we have to do it the way that God said. And it's not okay... It doesn't appease God. It's not okay with God if we decide we want to worship God in our own thoughts or in the way which seems right unto us. Are you there in John chapter 4? Look at verse number 24. John 4, verse number 24. The Bible says this. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit, don't miss this, and in truth. Do you see that? See, people, people get this idea like, well, what's the big deal? You know, you know, what, what if I just go to some liberal church where the Bible, they've got the wrong Bible, they've got worldly music, they're not taking a stand for anything, they're not teaching anything, they're not, you know, uh, 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 preaching anything, you know, but we're worshiping God and God accepts our worship. But here's the thing, God doesn't accept your worship. In fact, it angers God when God looks down at people and says, why are you sacrificing on an altar of bricks when I told you not to hew the stone? And here's what the Bible says. You can't just get your spirit in it and say, well, I feel good emotionally. It feels great. You must worship him in spirit and in truth. You've got to do it not only... Good night. Satan doesn't want me to preach this. (laughs) You've got to do it not only, you know, you say, well, in the spirit, but you've you've got to do it in the way that God said it. See, everything we do at Radio Baptist Church goes under this idea of is it pleasing to God? You know, as, uh, we get a lot of complaints with our, our visitors. Our visitors will come and say, Oh, I like, I like the service. Everybody's real nice and the preaching was good, you know. But those hymns, you know, I mean, I just don't feel those old hymns, you know. But here's a question we're not seeker sensitive. We're not, you know, we're not uh, uh, Rick Warren up here sending a survey out and asking people, well, what kind of music do you like? And let, let's get the music that's going to attract the crowd. We're not seeker sensitive. You know who we're sensitive to is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we're trying to do is, here's the question. The question is not, does the music please you? The question is, does the music please God? Because we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You say, well, the, 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 the bricks are, are nicer. The bricks are fancier. The bricks are easier to bring. But the bricks is not what God asked for. And you see here that God is upset that they you say, well, they're worshiping him. Yeah, but they're worshiping him by their own thoughts in a way that makes sense to them. They did that which was right in their own eyes. Go back to Isaiah 65. Look at verse 5. Isaiah 65, verse 5. I like, I like verse 5. First, I just write my favorite verse in this chapter. Isaiah 65, 5, which says, stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. That's the most well-known phrase you never knew was in the Bible. Who's that? who's ever heard somebody say I'm you know oh that, that guy's holier than thou, you know you probably didn't know it was from a quote from the book of Isaiah, but oftentimes people will look at someone like us fundamental Baptists who say you know doctrine does matter, the Word of God does matter, how God wants something does that does matter, and 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 they'll, and they'll say oh you're one of those holier than thou, but here the Bible tells us. God actually used that phrase, and then notice how he uses it, verse 5. Now, in verse 4, he's talking about people who were not doing what God wanted them to do. They were not worshiping in the way that God asked them to worship. And then in verse 5, he says this, Which say, stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. These are a smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day." See, the attitude of I am holier than thou from the Bible... The attitude of I'm holier than thou is this attitude of, of because I think I'm holier than you, I don't even want to be around other people. You know, and, and here's the problem. Fundamental Baptists get this, get this issue. And we, we, you know, we've had to fight it even here at our church, you know, and it's good to talk about it every once in a while. We should never get this idea. We should never get to the place where like a visitor walks in and they feel uncomfortable, you know, maybe because they're not dressed the right way or they don't look the right way or they, you know, visitors come in all the time saying all sorts of stupid things. You know, they're saying all sorts of things that they heard on the radio and they heard and, and you know, but we ne- we should never get to this attitude like, oh, you know, let's not be around these people. Or let's not, you know, let's keep away from them. Or let's not fellowship with them. That's the the holier-than-thou attitude is, number one, when somebody thinks they're worshiping God and they're not really worshiping God, but then they look down on someone and say, oh, no, 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 i got to separate from them because I'm right and they're wrong. Hey, listen, we ought never have the attitude. You know, we always have to have an attitude of of we want to accept people. We want to love people. We want to bring people in. We want to fellowship with them, want to help them feel accepted. Now, that doesn't mean that we sin. Because here's what the liberals say. They say, oh, I want to be accepting, so I'm just going to act like a sin. No, no, no. It doesn't mean we compromise. It doesn't mean we change our stance. It doesn't mean we start saying vulgar things. We, we do what's right, but we love people, and we're compassionate for people, and we don't look down like the Pharisees did on people. See, it's exactly what the Pharisees were accusing uh, Jesus Christ of. Go to the book of Matthew. Let me just show you real quickly. Matthew chapter number 9. Look at verse number 10. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10 the Pharisees were, were were accusing Christ of spending too much time around unbelievers. Matthew 9, look at verse 10. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? So see this this holier than thou attitude. Now here's what's interesting. What the Pharisees were doing, Jesus told the people, he said, whatever the Pharisees tell you to do, do it. He said, do what they say, but don't do what they do, because they say and do not. See, the Pharisees had this attitude of, of, I'm worshiping God in my own thoughts. I'm worshiping God in my own way. And then they looked down at Jesus Christ for spending time with sinners, when sinners were the ones that needed Jesus. And even as us, you know, let's never get to this place. And, you know, I've grown up in independent fundamental baptism my whole life. And I traveled a lot when I was in the military. My wife and I went to all sorts of different independent fundamental Baptist churches. And here's the problem that I found with a lot of them: is they weren't reaching people. They weren't having visitors. They weren't seeing anybody saved. They weren't seeing anybody come. And, and it just kind of became this little club, became this little clique where everybody, you know, had the right clothes, and everybody, you know, all the ladies were wearing the skirts, and all the ladies were wearing the dresses, and all the men were wearing the ties, and all the and all of that. And, and it became this thing. And then they'd look down on someone and say, "Oh." And here's the thing: where does the say you have to wear a tie you know and here's the funny thing these women will look down on 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 some on some lady for coming in with a pair of pants and but they're wearing pair of pants on monday and tuesday wednesday thursday friday and it's 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 like well you know i'm worshiping god but you're not let, let me just cue you in on something ladies okay you know we're the people here we're not god you know this i don't i don't understand this idea like i dress like this at church and then i dress like this at home does god not see you at home Does God not see you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? Who exactly are you trying to impress? But this idea of, well, we just got to play by these rules. Well, why are you playing by those rules? Why don't you just get right with God? Why don't you just do what God asks you to do? And it says holier than thou, you know, well, here's where we are and here's where the world is. You know what? We need to go to that world. That's why we're not Amish. You know, that's why we don't go out and get... Every once in a while, I'd like to go get some property in Nebraska somewhere and just go you know, live by ourselves, right? But we've got to reach those people. That's where that holier-than-thou um, terminology uh, came from. Go, go back to Isaiah 65. Let's move on to something else because that's not going over well. Look at verse 8. Isaiah 65, look at verse 8. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster... And one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servants' sake that I may not destroy them all. So here's an interesting verse where the Bible tells us that new wine is found in the cluster. Now this is something, the Bible, in the Bible, when our King James Bible was translated in 1611, 400 years ago, the word wine was often used for both juice and an alcoholic beverage. That's why in Isaiah 65.8 it says, Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found uh, in the cluster. When you have a grape still attached to the cluster, it's still on the vine. It hasn't fermented yet. It hasn't gone rotten yet. You know, it's still alive, connected to the vine. But yet, what's found in it, God calls wine. And you got to understand, in the Bible, in our King James Bible... The word wine sometimes refers to Jews and sometimes refers to alcohol. Go to Song of Solomon. Let me give you a couple of verses uh, just to show you this. You, if you're there in Isaiah, if you go backwards, you have the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Look at verse number 2. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 2. This is why I think these new Bible versions are silly because they don't, you know, supposedly they're updating the words and, and making it clear, but, you know, they, they should change a lot of the references from wine in their new versions to to juice. But here's why they don't, because they want to, you know, trick people into thinking it's okay uh, to drink alcohol. But let me show you what the Bible says about it. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 2. Now, in Isaiah 65, 8, we saw that new wine is found in the cluster. There's new wine. He referred to what's in the grape on the cluster. He called that wine. Notice what he says in the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 2. I would lead thee, and bring thee into my mother's house, who would instruct me, I would cause thee, notice what she says, to drink of the spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. You see how he's using the words interchangeably? He's, is it is it wine or is it juice? Well, it's both. It's spiced wine of the juice of my prominent right? Because in the Bible, the common word in 6 and 11, the word juice was not used a lot. The common word was just wine. So here you see that it's you, but, but God, you know, the Bible, like I can tell you all the time, the Bible is its own dictionary. God is defining that word for us. Go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 23. There's a lot of passages we could go to. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but let me just give you something. Uh, for you to write down or have to to maybe answer. Proverbs 23, verse 29. So in the Bible, you have these two, the wine could either be alcohol or wine could either be juice. And you say, well, how do you know the difference? Well, you know the difference by its context. The context tells us whether it's talking about alcohol or juice. And here's what you understand. The Bible teaches that we should not drink alcohol. Let me show it to you. Proverbs 23, look at verse number 29. Proverbs 23, verse 29. Notice what the Bible says. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions, who hath babblings, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Now notice verse 31. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself right. Now, Proverbs twenty three thirty one is referring to fermentation, okay? When it's red, give it its color in the cup, move it itself to right. Those are all references to the fact that the wine, the Jews, is being fermented. Now, nobody says, notice what he says look not thou upon the wine. That's a command. When it is red, when it giveth it its color in the cup, when it moves itself right, at the last it biteth like a serpent, and, striketh, and singeth like an adder, thine eyes shall behold strange women. This is what happens when you drink alcohol, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, as he that lieth upon the top of the mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet. Again, that's, that's an addict, that's someone who's addicted to this drink. Now, here's, here's what you got to understand, okay? In verse 31, he says, look not thou upon the wine, okay? So, can anybody, I mean, can anybody argue the fact that here the Bible is telling us there's a wine that we should not look at? Well, what is that wine? When it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself right? The Bible specifically teaches, you know, that we should not drink alcohol in Proverbs 23, verse 31, and then people will often say, well, what about Jesus when he turned water into wine? But as we saw in Isaiah and the Song of Solomon, that the word wine is often referring to juice. And I personally believe that Jesus, when he turned water into wine, he turned water into grape juice or whatever juice he, he, he was doing there. He wasn't turning it into alcohol because that would cause him to sin against Proverbs 23, 31, when it says, don't even look at it. He said, don't, don't, don't drink it, don't be around it. He said, it's, it's not good. And you know, this was something that... that Every Christian used to believe a long time ago. I mean, you know, everything, everything that we preach at every Baptist Church, sometimes people think like, oh, that's crazy, you know, uh, the things that you believe. But, you know, there was a time when every Christian believed that it was wrong to drink alcohol. You know, but now today all these Christians want to say, oh, just have a glass of wine with your, you know, uh, meal or whatever, you know. There was a time we, we preach about dress standards. There was a time when every preacher used to get up and preach against dress standards. There's a time when, when everybody, you know, preached the things that we preach. But the Bible says it. doesn't matter if times change. Go to Isaiah 65. Look at verse number uh, 16. Let's, let's move off, off of there. But, but there is a very clear verse where the Bible says that wine is in the cluster and wine is used in the Bible in reference to juice. And Proverbs specifically tells us that there's a wine we should not uh, drink, we should not uh, look at. Proverbs 65, look at verse 16. Now in verse sixteen he kind of changes gears, and I want to show you something about about Bible prophecy, especially in in the in the in, in like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. He begins to talk about new heaven and new earth. Now these terms, new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, they are all a reference to basically what you and I would think of when we think of heaven, or when we think of like the eternal state. And what we mean by that is when we are basically in eternity, when we are. You know, everything's done as far as the timeline of God. We're just in heaven uh, with God. That's, what, that's the terms that you and I use. The Bible uses these terms. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. Isaiah 65, look at verse 16. Notice what he says. That he who blessed himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. Because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hid from mine eyes. For behold, notice what he says. I create new heaven and new earth. And the former shall not be remembered, nor come in mind. Now, that's an interesting verse. He's saying when when he creates a new heaven and a new earth, he says the former, referring to the former heaven and the former earth, will not be remembered, nor come into mind. Now, I don't know exactly how that's going to all work out or play out, but here it's saying that we're not going to really remember uh, those things. And I've got my theories on that, but look verse 18. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I, notice what, what he says, which I create. So it's new. For behold, I create Jerusalem. But if he creates Jerusalem, it's a new Jerusalem. It's not the Jerusalem which now is. A rejoicing that her people uh, and her people are joy. verse 19. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the, notice, voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her nor the voice of crying. So here's how we study the Bible. You say, well, what is that talking about? You allow the New Testament to explain the Old Testament. You allow further revelation to, to, uh, to explain, you know, the older uh, prophecies and revelations. So let's go real quickly to Revelation 21. We, we, we can do this fast. We'll be done here in like five minutes. Revelation 21. Look at verse number one. Revelation 21 and verse number one, okay? Because you, when you find passages that are talking about the same thing, you allow the newer stuff. We, we don't take Daniel to explain revelation. We let revelation explain Daniel. We don't take Isaiah to, uh, you know, explain the book of Revelation. We'll let the book of Revelation explain the book of Isaiah. In Revelation twenty-one-one, the Bible says this, "And and I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Go go down to verse number 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. In Isaiah 65, 19, it says, "...nor the voice of crying." Here it tells us, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away, just like it says in Isaiah. So the Bible tells us this, that in in the book of Isaiah and in the book of Revelation, it tells us in new heaven and new earth, former things are going to pass away and and we're not going to remember those things anymore. Now, you know, the question is this, you know, does the Bible say that God's just going to wipe away our memory and we're not going to remember anything that happened? You know, that, that may be, and I don't know, Paul said we look through a glass darkly. You know, things don't make sense for us when we're there. But my, my belief is this... Because the Word of God is forever, you know, and especially like the, the stories found in the Bible, you know, David's never going to be able to forget about the fact that he committed adultery, right? I mean, that's in the Word of God. So, you know, how can that be remembered? My, my theory is this. In First John, the Bible talks, and not just 1 John, but Galatians 5, Romans 7. It teaches this concept about the fact that it is not I that sin, but it is sin that dwelleth in me. But the new man inside of me does not sin. And I believe that when we get to heaven, we will only be walking in that new man. The flesh will be done away with. Remember? Paul said that this corruptible will put on incorruption, this mortal will put on immortality, and I think we will look back to the events that happened on earth, but you know, you, David will look back at his sins, but he'll look at it as if it was someone else, because it'll be like, that wasn't me. You know, that was that was the old man. You know, just like just like Paul says in Romans 7, he said, he said it is not I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And I, I believe that's what the reference is there to. Not necessarily that we're going to forget everything that ever happened on the earth, but you're going to look back on the sins of this earth and you'll say, hey, that, that wasn't me. That flesh is gone. That was the old man. The new man didn't do those things. That's my theory. I could be wrong about that. Maybe we won't remember anything. I don't know. But uh, keep your finger there in Revelation 21. Go back to Isaiah 65. Look at verse 20. Now in Isaiah 65, 20... He, he shifts gears to what's known as the millennium or the millennial reign. Now, I want you to understand the difference between new heaven and new earth and the millennium. The millennium is a thousand-year reign of Christ. The millennium is on this earth, not the new heaven and the new earth. It's still on this earth. Right at the end of the wrath of God, at the battle of Armageddon, God, Jesus comes down on a white horse, we, we've studied all that in the book of Isaiah, he fights the battle of Armageddon, he, he, he defeats the forces of this world, he doesn't kill everyone, he just kills those that are battling against him, But then he sets up his millennial reign, well when he sets up his millennial reign, there are human beings that go into that millennial reign of Christ, on this earth now, you and I will be in our glorified bodies. This is after the rapture. We will be in our glorified bodies. You know, we will be in a resurrected state. But there will still be people on planet Earth that will be living like normal people for a thousand years. This was known as the millennial reign of Christ. God removes His curse from the earth, so there are certain things that change. We kind of go back to a Garden of Eden type state, and I'm going to show you that here in Isaiah. But, it, but at the end of the millennial reign, you have the new heaven and new earth. And at that point, everyone's just basically saved. You know, everyone else has gone to Lake of Fire. You got the new heaven and the new earth. So you got to understand those differences. During the millennial reign, you're, there are still people living on this earth uh, on normal life. Now look at verse uh, 20, Isaiah 65 and verse 20. Notice what he says about this. Thou shalt be no more thence, an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days, Isaiah 65, 20, for the child shall die in 100 years old. So here the Bible is teaching that during this millennial reign of Christ, God is going to basically, we're going to go back, revert back to like a garden of Eden state. If you remember in the Old Testament, you know, the, the, the closer you got to creation, people lived a lot longer. You know, people lived 700 years and 900 years in a long time. And here the Bible is telling us that during this millennial reign of Christ, if a child dies, you know, if a person dies at 100 years old, they'll say like, oh, he was so young. You know, like if someone dies at hundred years old, they'll refer to him as a child because people are living a lot longer during this time. Look at verse 22. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. Notice what it says. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people. He says people are going to live as long as trees do. Trees live a long time. You know, there are some trees, those redwoods up there, uh, live 5,000 years, you know, and different trees live different time periods. But here the Bible says that people will live as long as the tree does. So during this millennial reign, people are going to be living a long time. Now let me show you something that's kind of interesting. I have no idea what it's talking about, so I'm just going to uh, show it to you. Maybe one of you guys can explain to me. But in Isaiah 65, 20, it says this. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days, for the child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner being an hundred years old Shall be a curse. Now I don't know what that phrase is talking about, but I, I have heard some people teach, and, and this may be true, I don't know. Uh, maybe one of you guys can figure it out and show me. But when it says the sinners, the, the theory on that phrase that the sinners being 100 years old shall be a curse, the idea is this, because during the millennial reign of Christ, you gotta understand, things change in the sense that Christ is reigning on this earth. I mean, Jesus Christ is physically reigning on this earth. There's no doubt, you know, is Jesus real? There's no doubt is the word of God real? Jesus is reigning on this earth. It's the millennial reign of Christ. And, but there's still people on this earth who are just normal people. And those people either have to be saved or some of them don't get saved. Because we know that at the end of the millennial reign, Satan gets, you know, loosed out of the bottom of his pit, and he gathers a group of people to do one last battle against God, Gog and Magog, and all that is detailed in the book of Revelation. But, but here's what's interesting. Some people believe that basically during this millennial reign, you've got 100 years to get saved, and if you make it to 100 and you've just chosen to reject God, then you basically cross that line of being a reprobate and, and you've been accursed. So I don't know if that's what that's talking about, but it's an interesting thing. It says, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be a curse." So, you, you know, if you, you may live to 900 years, but you've got 100 years to make a decision. Do I want to follow Jesus Christ or do I want to uh, not? So anyway, something to think about. But notice, notice something else about the millennial rain. Verse twenty-one. It says, "And they shall, be, uh, and they, and they shall build houses, and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them." So notice, during the millennial rain, people are working. And, you know, I don't, I don't think we're going to be up in heaven either. This is the millennial reign, but even, even in heaven, I don't think we're just going to be hanging out on clouds, playing harps. You know, I think we're going to be working and doing things. Verse 22, they now they shall not build and another inhabit. That's what happens here on this earth. You build and someone else inhabits. You work all, all, all your life to build a business and then you die. And somebody takes it, you know, or you, the government takes it. You you work all your life to to gather a house, and gather cars, and gather an RV, and gather a boat, and gather all these things. Then you die, and somebody else enjoys those things. That's what happens here. He says, but 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 at that time they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Verse twenty three. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and the offspring uh, with them. Look at verse 24. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. This is, again, talking about the fact we're going to be close to God. You don't have to go back there, but Revelation twenty-one three says that God himself shall be with them. God will be close to us. You'll be able to today we pray to God, you know, and by faith we believe he hears us, but at that time you're going to call and he's going to answer. You're going to, you know, be speaking and he will hear. We will be basically, with God. Look at verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. This is like the Garden of Eden. Basically, everyone, all the animals are reverting back to being vegetarians, you know. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock and the dust uh, shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. And here's what's interesting about these verses is that God says, you know, the, I mean, this is going to be a cool time to live on earth. Because, you know, you're going to be able to walk up to a lion and just start petting that thing, you know, and not have to worry about it's going to eat me, you know. Or you're going to be able to walk up to a wolf and a lamb are just going to be uh, gathered together, and it's going to be a great time. Let me give you a couple of thoughts on the millennial reign. What's the point of the millennial reign? Why? Like, why does God, why don't we just skip it and just go straight into new heaven and new earth? I believe the reason for the millennial reign is this on this earth, in this life, those of us that live for God, Those of us that work for God and that sacrifice for God, you know, we don't get to enjoy a lot of things that the world does. You know, you might look at, you know, your worldly neighbor and see him go get in his, you know, boat every Sunday, and he goes out, and he goes golfing, and he goes boating, and he goes camping, and he goes hiking, and he goes this, and he goes that, and you say, well, I go soul winning on Saturday, and I go to church on Sunday morning, and I go to church on Sunday night, and I go to church on Wednesday night, and I'm broke because I, I give 10% of my tithe, you know, to God, and, and I can't do all these things, but listen to me, I believe that for the faithful, because the Bible says that based on how you labored for God on this earth means how you will reign for God in heaven. I think the purpose of the millennial reign is that God is going to say to those of us that sacrificed, to those of us that gave up the goods of this world, to those of us who said, you know what, I could go make more money. I could go start a business. I could go just live for myself, but I'm going to go ahead and give my life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think God's going to say, hey, for a thousand years, enjoy this earth. For a thousand years, go golfing, you know, go boating, go hiking, enjoy it. On this, you know, right now, we got to focus on the fact that people are dying and going to hell. But during that time, I think he's just going to say, hey, uh, go for it, you know. And you know what? I'd rather go hiking then when I can go up and pet a bear than when I, you know, now where I have to worry about a bear eating me. You know what I mean? Uh, so I, I think that's one of the reasons there. But here's what's interesting about the millennial reign. There are those who teach today that the millennial reign is not literal. They'll say it's just figurative. And in fact, some people say that like we're living in the millennial reign right now. Or they'll say that the millennial reign is bringing a, a you know, a political, is, is basically uniting the world uh, to bring Christ in politically. That sounds to me like the new world order, but you know, whatever. There are people that believe that. But here's what's interesting about that. We know that it's not true because if we were to just like solve all the political problems of this world, a bear's still going to eat you. If you pet it, if, if we were to just, you know, you know, bring everyone in peace, you still can't go pet a lion. All right. But someone doesn't live to 100 years old. And we say, oh, they were so young when they died. So here the Bible is proving the fact that the millennial reign of Christ is an actual time where God is going to allow people to live longer. They're going to be healthier. They're going to be, you know, the animals are going to be at peace with each other. There'll be no hurt and it'll be a time to enjoy it. So on Saturday morning when you're tired and it's raining and you kind of think like, oh, should I go soul winning? Just tell yourself, I'll enjoy this earth during the millennial rain. You know, on Sunday night when you're tired and you're like, should I really go back? You know, just tell yourself I'll take a nap during the millennial rain. But for now, let's just get busy on preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads.